Alright, it wasn't pretty, but Bayheim's army is moving on. They beat Metamaki 76-69. The Elam ending was a free throw from Brendan Trish about his... Fitting of a way Winning for that game player to end. in Syracuse history, Brandon. Yes. I don't know if you knew yeah. that, Tim. We only heard <laughs> it a hundred times today. Yeah, and Haas is a mountain masquerading as a man, according to Seth Greenberg. He made sure to say that every time Isaac Haas touched the ball. But a lot to get to. That was a, a fun game. First, today's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki, of course, and. Man, was that the most Syracuse basketball game ever I felt that we like just watched? We were in the middle of January, middle of February, just getting ready for another bout at the dome. And yep, that's that is exactly the, the type of game. You know what? Although it was a bit of a, a stressful one for for Syracuse fans, that's kind of the rush my heart needed, right? Like get getting yeah. yourself back into the the sports mode of things. That was everything that my heart needed right about now. There was something oddly satisfying and refreshing about seeing Syracuse. Yeah, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, their inability to get a rebound was, I was just sitting there laughing. There was that one possession in the first half where they got five offensive rebounds in a row before they cut to a break, and they're just chucking up threes. I mean, it was a pretty good first half. They're up by 10 at the end of the first half. Devo was It did not feel like 10, though. No, it didn't. And honestly, Menemaki just didn't really play that good. Haas had one move, and he went left, or to his left side, to his right hand, on a little spin move, and Dante Green just learned to strip it. And Green had some bad offensive shots. That's how they won, shots. too. Yeah, but, I mean, he was pretty good on D against Haas. I'd say, if anything, right. Haas was pretty underwhelming. It was, yeah, I mean... He did have some timely buckets. I mean, there were times where this this Men of Mackey team was down by 10 or down by 8, and then he'd get a big basket to get you to 6, or he'd get you an and 1 and keep Men of Mackey right there. I mean, without him, without Justin Denton, I mean, there there is no way that team had any chance. But even though the score was a 7-point game in the end of things, this was a much closer contest than all of that played out to be and I think one of the important stats of the entire game was Bayheim's army 28 of 32 from the free throw line I mean that's did Joe Girard give these guys free throw lessons (laughs) that's that's the only thing I can think of right now because you even heard Seth Greenberg joke about it how look at this it's a Syracuse team making free throws and they even withstood the announcer's jinx right after he said that too so this team was really good from the free throw line. The one thing that I'm concerned with is I don't find free throws to be a sustainable measure of statistics, and especially with the volume. I mean, I don't think this team is going 28 of 32 from the free throw line again. I don't think they're getting 32 free throw attempts again. So that's the one thing that maybe worries me a little bit. But other than that, uh, this was a Syracuse basketball game through and through. Yeah, from the time it was the end, the start of the second half to the Elam ending, I felt like all they could do was score at the free throw line. There was yeah. no semblance was that, of offense. Or Debo yeah. gets the ball and he's going left and he's, he's yeah, going around gosh. a screen or something like that, making something happen. I mean, he was classic Debo. I love that. I know. Shout out to him, man. I mean, it's like a fine wine. I just, I tweeted something. Your that, tweet was great. Oh, that, that was so, that was so perfect. It'll be 2075. He'll be playing with 
Buddy Bayheim's kid and Dior Johnson's kid, and it'll just he's never not going to be leading Bayheim's army. Yeah, probably if it's twenty seventy five, but somehow he will still be out there. He'll still be going left. I mean, it felt like every shot he hit in this game, he went left. And honestly, if they don't have Devo in that game, they lose, and they're going to have to play better to win some of these upcoming games. But they did play pretty good in the Elam ending stretch. I'll give them that. And once it hit crunch time, I was proud of the way they played. That was definitely the strongest stretch of the game for them. I mean, even though there were points where they opened up 10-point leads, if, if this team didn't have Eric Devendorf, he, he led the way with 21 points. And it all kind of came in spurts, too. He provided the toughness on both sides of the ball as well. And without that, he is... I mean, this this team is not they lose this game without Eric Devendorf. I, I don't think there's any ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was that clutch from start to finish and just did everything you needed to do to win a TBT game. Yeah, he was awesome. And I don't know why we didn't... I mean, I guess we did mention him as the leading scorer for the game, but it was just so obvious. Once it started, I was like, what more do I need to see? This is year seven of this thing. And he still looks as good as he was literally when he played for Syracuse. It's yeah. really remarkable. When I heard the year seven thing, I was like, wow, is it really yeah. year seven for Devo in the tournament? The the thing that, well, okay, and this is something that is more personal for me, but I don't know about you, Tim, but it feels like there's a giant gap between the number six and the number seven. And when I hear that this it's number year seven, yeah, this is a, a very odd take, but you know I'm full of odd takes. But yes. th- the gap between six and seven, I don't know why, but for me in my head, it clicks. I don't know if it's the fact that the numbers <laughs> start going from round to straight, but I don't know. Something is messed up in my head in that fashion. But when I heard that, I was like, wow, has he really been going at it for seven years? And I mean, the tournament, that's been around for seven years, but yeah, it's it's... It's crazy, and and he's just playing as well as as he has this entire time. Yeah, seven years does seem like a lot. I don't know if I can get behind your your six to seven huge discrepancy there. It's huge. In my mind, yes, it is (laughs) a a massive, massive gap. So they bring on Bayheim right at the start of the second half, and man, it was a tough stretch. Well, well, the team was out there, or the how the team was playing while he was talking. It was just. I look up, they're just chucking threes. And Dante Green, as I said, played good, but he had some Kobe-like tendencies on the court at times. I I don't think he remembered there were four other guys on the court wearing orange a couple times when he had the ball on offense. But that's kind of how this tournament is. I mean, they did the five-out thing, and to me, they just... I think I even heard Blackwell. It's cool how the coaches were mic'd up, and you could hear some of that. He was just saying, they got to stop settling, like... It, it is Syracuse basketball. That's what we're yelling at the TV when they're playing Miami and somehow underwhelming. It's settling for threes, isolation, and not getting rebounds. But the three-point stuff, they've got to cut down on that in their next game. And when Bayheim came on, it's it's interesting because I wonder if the players knew that Bayheim was on because it was out of the half. And they knew, okay, coach isn't watching. Like Now I can just kind of chuck. I can, I can do what I want. And it... <laughs> It showed in the result that was on the on the court at that time because, I mean, that was a sluggish stretch. Beheim, because I'm assuming, and I don't know this, but I'm guessing the way that it works out is Beheim's on some sort of Zoom call. Yeah, and it looked like it. So he only he isn't necessarily watching the game then. 
he's he's only getting the feed of the the other end of the Zoom call. Maybe he's got it on and on a TV. I don't know. Right. But it seemed like his eyes were pretty locked in on the camera that entire time. It, you didn't see his eyes dancing around looking back up at the screen. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they they knew. I I mean I'm sure he he open or he looks back up at the TV after after that interview's done and he's like what the hell just happened i mean this is <laughs> this is not what i saw this we had a 10 point lead not too long ago yeah. and now we're we're spiraling out of control things were moving very quickly in that stretch for the team when Bayheim was was on the line there he, he did have some interesting things to say kind of in regards to the workouts and everything maybe we could even dive into that later on this week or even next week. Plenty more to get to on the Bayheim's Army front. Before that, got to tell you about the best place to maintain and repair your car right now. That's by going to rockauto.com. I actually went there this week. My taillight went out, which was unfortunate in my Jeep. So went to rockauto.com to order it. It's going to be shipped in a couple days. And it's just so easy right now, especially given this time. I'm in North Carolina where the cases are kind of spiking. So even more so than normal. I don't want to go to the auto parts store. You have to deal with the fear of that guy behind the counter on his computer clicking away and saying the price. Are you getting ripped off? Is that the best price? You know at rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices every single time, incredibly easy to navigate. I can't recommend it enough. Go to rockauto.com right now. And when you go there, type locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. It is weird watching a basketball game. That was kind of the first basketball game I watched start to finish without fans. And it really hits you once Trish makes that free throw. I mean, talk about the most anticlimactic way for the game to end. It's a free throw and there's no fans. And it wasn't like there was some group huddle or hug or anything like that. So it's that's the tough part about the Elam ending. But I, I was thinking about it, there's really no way around eliminating a free throw like it's only fair that Trish could go to the line there or else people would just hack him so it's just a necessary evil with the ending which otherwise I love the ending I think it's great for this tournament yeah I love the Elam ending too and I know some people have said oh one way to change the Elam ending to make sure it doesn't end on a free throw is that every free throw you make takes away a point from the other team well to that I say then what's the point of the Elam ending? Because the goal right. is to eliminate fouling at the end of games, and that's only going to increase the fouling at the end of games because, okay, it, it literally does the same thing. It, it So you can't do it that way. And I think, listen, not every game has to end in some sort of dramatic fashion, all right? You, the bulk of games are going to end in a great dramatic fashion because everything is a buzzer beater. And, and they even they showed the graphic late in the game. I think it was like six have ended on two-point field goals, two have ended on two-point field goals, and then only a handful had ended on free throws. So most of these games have ended the way that the Elam ending was supposed to end. And I think that, when you see that, that just shows the success of what this product is and why it is a feasible thing. I don't think it'll make its way to the NBA, but, I mean, Demetrius Nichols, or I think it was Demetrius Nichols, and someone else even brought it up too, where you could see this in the NBA as a feasible yeah, thing I think it was in overtime, maybe not for regular season, but you implement this for overtime. And I think that would be a great way for these games to end because you don't want guys playing 
eight overtime games or, or even double overtime games when you've got back-to-backs. And I know Syracuse fans may object to that because they played in one of the most epic games of all time. Sure. But at the end of the day, I... I think that it'd be better for the sport if you're getting guys at their peak as opposed to, I mean, you get to a third or fourth overtime and it's just, all right, let's, let's get the hell out of here. Not to mention, it's just kind of better for planning purposes. Like we're recording this right after the game ended. We knew we were going to do this podcast literally right around six o'clock because, Mm -hmm. and that's on the East coast, of course. There was no way. I mean, there's no chance of it going to overtime unless everyone just threw up bricks in the Elam ending portion, but it's only eight points that you have to get to for the winning team, and who knows how far off the losing team is. It's nice that for ESPN's purposes, like that six o'clock sports center they had, that's probably going right to start time. right on yep. time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you don't have to have a contingency plan really because worst case scenario, it's like 10 minutes overdue, and I don't even think that is going to happen once in a blue moon. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, getting back to some of the other things from the game, just so, some other notes that I want to point out here. First of all, Dante Green was both the most frustrating player on the, the court at times and also one of the more key players for this team because he did chuck some threes that made you kind of go, hmm, like, what, what are you doing out there? But he also had some great defense down low, on on Isaac Haas, on some of the other big guys for Men of Mackey. And How about that like charge yeah, that he, he had with he five took the charge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and on top of that, he got the steal at the end. He he learned the move that Isaac Haas made, and he turned it into a, a bunch of turnovers that led out to some Syracuse transition buckets, especially some late in the, the game, too. And on top of that, so the NBA banned the ninja headband, but Dante Green says, you know what, this is TBT, I can wear what I want, and brought back the ninja headband. And I think that made up for every single moment where I was frustrated with a bad three that he took. Yeah. Also, Will Raymond, shout out to him. I think yeah, he deserves he solid. some props. He was scrappy, and I know people were joking on Twitter. It was fun to have Twitter back and see all the familiar faces on Twitter, all our Syracuse community and family out there. and. And people were joking that he had some dolgei in him a little bit. He was scrapping out there. and I think, Yeah, you saw him diving you know, for balls and everything. Yeah. And also, I thought Malachi looked pretty good. Um, I was hoping, I'm really hoping that he drops the, the double goggles at some point yeah. during this. I tweeted about that too. And I, I thought that was a golden chance at halftime when he made it right at the buzzer, put him up 10. But he was saving it, I guess, for, for maybe a bigger moment. And I don't know, how optimistic are you that they sort of win this next game and keep this thing going? They're not playing Challenge ALS, who is the right. sixth seed. They got upset. Right, and, and Sideline Cancer has made a nice little run here with, with Marcus Keene leading the way, and he was a prolific scorer in college, and he's kind of carried this team on his back throughout the tournament. So the way that I see it is Syracuse is going to have to really lock up defensive, or Bayheim's Army, I should say, has to really lock up defensively and key in on a guy like Keen because I don't think one guy can beat Syracuse. I just I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that the Bayheim's Army squad is too deep for them to lose to a singular guy. Now, men of Mackey showed that, okay, they, they, I think even though they lost, they kind of have the blueprint of how to beat Bayheim's Army. You need size yeah. and you need rebounding. And 
as much as we said there were some some errant shots by by Beheim's army, you could say a lot of the same about Men of Mackey too, where they were taking some bad threes and forced into bad threes. I mean, you saw the zone flex its muscles at times, and, and that's exactly what happened. So don't take bad shots, and and if you can win the battle on the boards, you're going to have a good chance against Beheim's army. So I think there was a little expose out there on, on this team, but yeah, at the end of the day... Sure. Eric Devendorf can put a band-aid on most of those deficiencies at times and just absolutely take over a ball game. Yeah. It's so much fun to watch Devo play. And when we had him on the podcast, I was kind of thinking back to some of the quotes that he made about just how he doesn't feel like there's a lot of players out there now that have that competitive edge that he plays with, or they've kind of lost that a little bit. And just what, I mean, there was that terrible travel call on him. Oh, yeah, what was that? Yeah, that was garbage. <laughs> and Seth Greenberg was joking, like, I'm surprised Devo, you know, was in, held in check there and didn't go at the ref too much. But yeah, he does but it's the maturity that. of Devo, too. Yeah, it is. And he looks pretty slim, too. I know he's gone to that, that vegan diet that he talked about in the right. pod. But mm-hmm. he's been working out with Buddy, which I know Coach Beheim mentioned. I'm sure those games are, are really fun and one-on-one are pretty good duels that got him ready for this. But it's so much fun to watch Devo. I I could watch him all day long, and I'm just excited that we have another game to look forward to, and and hopefully they keep this thing going. I think they're just going to have to play better than they did today, though. That's a a little bit better. I mean, it was weird because they played good in stretches, and the middle was just so putrid that it left kind of an uneasy feeling in my mouth going into the next game. And and this is something that I want to hit on, and and it probably deserves more of an explanation during the week, but and, and I want to talk to Devo about this too. But how is this guy not playing pro ball somewhere? And and maybe it's the fact that he has a family and he wants to be in the United States. Because I don't think he he's necessarily a guy that should be in the NBA now. But you're telling me there's not an overseas team that's watching this and, could, and seeing for him. Sure. Like he definitely has a spot on an overseas roster somewhere. And I think that's we're looking at the the family man Eric Devendorf. That is maybe a reason why he he's opting to to go more the coaching route because so he can stay yeah. in the United States. But I mean, he looks way better than I mean, even his teammates. Some of them that are playing high levels overseas, he looks so much better than a lot of them. And the, whether it's his teammates or, or the opposition, he is just blowing away the competition. And he's done it year after year after year now. Yeah, seven years. It's it's amazing that he's still doing Not it. Not six, so. seven. I know. <laughs> Big Props difference. Props to Devo. Props to Bayheim's Army. We're excited that they are moving on. We're going to talk some football recruiting now because a lot to get to. A couple offensive linemen to update you guys on. High-priority guys for Syracuse who have made some rumblings talking about Syracuse recently. So we'll get to that next. All right, time to get to some football recruiting, and Syracuse continues to make some waves in this 2021 class. No more commits to speak of, but you can feel that the momentum that they've gathered this past month from Justin Lampson and some of these recent commits is really trending up for Syracuse. And Ty, I think you were actually saying last time we spoke about recruiting, now I want their priority to be offensive line and keeping that QB of the future potentially in Lampson upright. And the news that came out the other day is basically two offensive linemen kind of trending towards 
putting Syracuse high on their list had just From wrapped my up Syracuse lips to visits. Dino's ears. Yes, it's it's amazing. Maybe maybe he was listening to the podcast. I I doubt it, but it's funny how now they're going the offensive line route because I think we can all agree, everyone listening and the two of us, that this feels like the direction that is really, really important for them to nail down in this cycle and going forward. Let's start with Enrique Cruz. He's the four-star that is now high on Syracuse priority list, and he just wrapped up a visit at the campus, said he really liked it. 6'6", 250. This is a really talented prospect. 24-7 Sports has him as the 203rd best player in the class. That's about as high as anyone Syracuse has gotten in recent memory if they were to get him. And he said Syracuse is very high on his list after the visit. Oh my, okay, before I get into some Enrique Cruz stuff here, I'm, I'm watching Sports Center right now, and they just showed oh, Melo no. splashing a jumper over Darius Baisley. Had to get that off my chest. That wow. was awesome. Okay, Holy anyway, my, my thoughts on Enrique Cruz. That was, a, that was one of the most relevant Syracuse things I could have said in the moment. Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Enrique Cruz, let's get back to football here. I think that... What you're looking at here is something that Syracuse has really missed, and it's that elite offensive lineman. And while they've gotten some through the transfer market, whether it's Coda Martin or what we're hopefully going to see with Chris Bleich, whether it's this year or the year after, is the fact that they need to bolster this offensive line because last year was a problem. Even though it started to get better at the end of the year, you need to, you have a chance now to really build something like really, really build something because you've got your QB one of the future in Justin Lampson. And now going around that is going to be what makes this team potentially from being just barely bowl eligible to a team that, okay, we're going to get a lot of 2018 vibes from it where they can win maybe 10 games or maybe not compete for the ACC title because Clemson's always going to be that leader, that lead dog in that regard. But this is a team that, okay, you, you can hang with a Clemson in a game. We've seen the Syracuse program give them fits. Dino has some sort of grasp on how to play against Davos Sweeney. And I think that when you get this offensive line cemented, I'm not saying you got to fill out all five positions in this class because that would just be silly, and, and I don't yeah. think that's that is even feasible. But you, you've started to get a couple guys in. And now a guy like Enrique Cruz can really change that. And we're not just talking about any offensive lineman. We're talking about the most important position on the offensive line. This guy's a left tackle, 6'5", yeah. 250, probably has to bulk up. But when I see that 250, I think, okay, well, that means he does have – he can move. He can, he's got some speed to him. And that's what this Syracuse team wants. They want these offensive linemen who can run and, and get up to the line and, and move in a hurry. And even though he's 250, when you look at the 24-7 recruiting or scouting report, one of the big things that they talk about is the fact that he's got natural strength to him. So yeah. that's and, and he's really good in pass protection. So that's going to be really important when you build this offensive line now. And they also rave about his athleticism, which goes to your point that he can move. And you notice that when he watches tape. Left tackle would be huge. As Dino loves to say, they're only as fast as their slowest offensive lineman. And I know he really, I joke about that because he says that quote too much probably, but it's true. I mean, offensive line is everything for Syracuse. And Cruz is right up there in terms of recruits that I've seen or come across that Syracuse have been after on the football side of things in the last five or six years that I think 
I really, really want them to get because I understand how much left tackle would mean to this program right now, how much they need to improve the offensive line. We all watched it last year. We all were tired of watching it last year, and that's the exact type of player that could really change how I feel about this 21 class, which I already feel good about, but nationally I think it would have a ripple effect as well because you're getting it literally almost a top 200 guy, according to 247sports.com. Well, okay, I was going to say that one of the things that I think is important too and why this timetable may get moved up a little bit more than some people think is the fact that he says he wants to visit every single school that he's really interested in before he makes a decision. But the fact that he's already active and going out and making visits, he was at Syracuse over the holiday weekend. So yeah. he, and I don't think they were alone. They weren't the only school he visited. So no. when he is going out and getting these visits, he that, to me that screams, I want to make a decision. And the fact that Syracuse is very high on his list, and that's a quote from him, that that helps and listen that he he's going to have a ton of great offers and there's going to be great offers that are going to pour in after he commits as well i bet whether it's syracuse or another school but some of his power fives you've got syracuse arizona indiana kansas louisville utah wake and he's also getting interest from iowa who which of course produces offensive lineman like no other UCF I'd imagine a team like Wisconsin will get in the mix I mean he's from Illinois so I'm guessing Illinois will probably try to throw their hat in Northwestern I'd guess Michigan Michigan State those are two schools that have produced a lot of offensive linemen so those are the schools that you have to work out I think Syracuse is going to get in a battle with some Big Ten schools for this kid yeah And I wouldn't say that his decision is right around the corner because just the way he talked about how he has some more visits that are coming and then also he's going to sit down with his family kind of after all these visits wrap up and take some time on it is how he worded it to 247sports.com. I will say Lyndon Cooper, the other guy we have to talk about here, another high-priority offensive lineman. Yes. (laughs) What is he, 6'3", 315. Yep. That's a big boy, which I'm all for bringing in more big boys to Syracuse. He actually also just went to Syracuse on a visit, went to Dino with the family. Shout out Coach Cavanaugh with the recommendations. Yeah, mom was very impressed with the Syracuse campus, which is great to hear. Sounds like they had a great time at Dino, which how can you not? And he's talking to Coach Babers every day, he says, which almost surprised me a little bit because he's also said he was talking to Coach Cav every day. That makes sense as the offensive line coach. But I love to hear how active they have been in pursuing this guy. For him, a decision is probably sooner than maybe even Cruz because he said around July 20th, which is his birthday, is what he's thinking right now. And he just recently announced his top six which Syracuse is in it. The only other Power 5 is NC State in that list. So I think Syracuse, as he said, is a top school for me. I think they're in a really good spot here to nab Cooper. I will say this. There are a couple NC State crystal balls out there. So Ooh, I did maybe, not see that. Yeah, so th- that's another thing to, to look at too. But yeah, I have seen too. It looks like there's the competition's going to come down to Syracuse and NC State. It seems like he he wants yeah. to play Power Five football. He does not have a ranking on twenty four seven, so we don't necessarily know how good he is. We know how big he is, and he's a guard, a guy who, I mean, he, he we talk about 
polar opposite guys here with Cruz, a, a guy who has some speed to him. But, I mean, Cooper, it, it looks like he can move a little bit too. So he's got that strength. He's got some speed to him. And, and when you're a guy who's 315 and can move, that's an asset. So even though he doesn't have a ranking, I, I think this is another guy that, that you're going to look for. And, and I think Syracuse, not going to say they have an inside track, but it seems like they're in a, a, a two-horse race. Yeah, those crystal balls are scary. I did not know about that. So who knows? I mean, based on the quotes he said when talking to 247sports.com, seems like Syracuse is, is pretty high on his list. The visit, everything's optimistic. And what he said around my birthday, July 20th, I'm assuming we're going to hear on July 20th. That's just, I've seen too many birthday decisions in the past. Yeah. And the way he <laughs> kind of talks about yeah, the it. The greatest gift you can get is relief from your senior year of high school. It, it is the the greatest gift you can get. I will yeah. say one last thing is that I'm very interested to see how this team is going to use Justin Lamson as a recruiting tool because you have to build the offensive line around him. And is it going to be one of those things? How how big is Lamson going to be used as a a chip in by the the coaching staff and how big is Lampson himself going to be in trying to recruit some of these other guys to come here? Because listen, if I'm Justin Lampson, I want a guy like Enrique Cruz on my team because he's yeah. going to protect my blind side. And I know he's super talented. Those are the guys I want. And I, I know that if you're going to make an investment in me, I want to also see you reciprocate and make an investment in the offensive line. So I think that's going to be one of the intriguing things to look for these next couple of months. Well, the good news is hopefully we can ask Justin Lampson that very question tomorrow on the podcast, because we have the verbal commitment from him still kind of working out the schedule of it, but we're hoping that next time you hear from us, we will also be talking to that really big quarterback commit for Syracuse, the high end three-star Justin Lampson. So be sure to check that out. Should be in your podcast feeds tomorrow and maybe even Friday. If we do a two part thing, with them. But that'll wrap up today's episode. Big win for Bayheim's Army. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. You can check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We'll have some live tweets throughout the upcoming Bayheim's Army, hopefully games, plural games, as this thing moves on and TBT continues to roll on. But for Tyler, I'm Tim, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Oh.